Our scripture passage today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 13. And our sermon title today is, We Are of a Different World. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 13. This is the Lord's word. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written, that you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For, what, who, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign in that without us. How I wish you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned who die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, but we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone. Let's just say hello to one another once again, to the people to the left of you, to the people to the right of you. We greet each other in the name of the Lord. Uh, we greet each other with the knowledge that God has brought us here. To worship not only as individuals, but as people, as brothers and sisters. And yes, God might share with you during this service something to your heart, something to you to increase your knowledge of him, something to you that will impress upon your heart to, to move closer to God. I urge you, God does not give that to you simply for yourself. And in fact, if you simply hold that to yourself, that nugget of wisdom, that seed that he puts in you, it will surely wither and die. But the joy comes when we share with one another what God impresses upon our hearts to make it alive and open in the air so that our brother and sister can rejoice with us and our brother and sister can keep us on the straight path so that we can allow that seed, whatever it is that God teaches us, to grow. 
To be in fellowship with one another is to share with each other the blessings, the challenges that we have in our faith. So that's why we greet one another. That's why we say hello to one another. We're encouraged by what God is doing in this place. Encouraged by what God will do as we walk and labor together in the Lord. Here in this passage in 1 Corinthians, we get the snarky Paul. Snarky, I like that word. We get Paul, he's a little sarcastic, a little facetious. Someone who's a, a little bit tired of what's going on in the church of Corinth. We hear the heart of a pastor or an apostle who loves his church and wants nothing more than it to grow in its love for the Lord and one another. And as you hear Paul in this letter, and as we walk through this passage, I hope that you know, don't simply hear sort of his sarcasm, but you hear his desire for us to grow in our knowledge of him. Paul is trying to show the people that we are of a different world, that our value system is different from the world around us. That what gives us joy is what gives the world pause. What gives us strength and energy is what gives the world sort of sadness. What we see is beautiful, they see as ugly. That the Corinth church had become too much like the world judging the, the maturity of their people, judging their leaders according to measures that were outside of Scripture. And Paul has seen how this measure outside of Scripture has sapped the strength of this church, sapped the love that should exist within and is allowed bickering, judgment, comparisons to sneak in amongst them. And Paul is saddened, and Paul is frustrated, and Paul wants the people to come out and in repentance to return to the Lord. This is what he says in verse 6 and verse 7. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. The first thing that he warns the people of is not to go beyond what is written. Not to go beyond what is in Scripture. That Scripture is sufficient enough 
the only rule of life that we have. And that if we go beyond the rule of Scripture into anything else, it leads to, as he says in verse 6, being puffed up, being prideful. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, Jesus says it this way, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Very simply, if you decide to judge other people by a measure outside of Scripture, that measure you will be judged by as well. If you measure people by how good-looking they are, and you sort of gravitate to people who dress well, look good, have things together, you yourself, when you look in that mirror every morning, you will judge yourself by that same reflection. You say, you will judge that reflection by that same measure as well. You will look at that mirror and you go, oh, today I don't look too good. Today I have nothing to wear. And then you'll start to realize that other people will start judging you with that same measure. And you will be imprisoned. We as Christians, we, we often do the same thing. We measure each other not by the measurements of Scripture, but we measure each other by frivolous things. We look around this church, and, and as Paul has said in the previous in Corinthians, we look at it and we ask, how does the pastor look? How is his, his oratory skills? How is his appearance? Paul, your appearance, you're pretty weak. Your oratory skills, well, he writes with a lot of force, but when he's there speaking, man, he's like nothing. When we look around the church and we say, oh, this person follows Apollos, this person follows Paul, you know, their theology is a little bit off here. These people, the way they do, the way they pray is a little bit off there. And judgment comes within the midst of us. There's only one measure, brothers and sisters, and that is God's word. And for us to be able to judge each other well with grace and mercy, we have to know God's word. There are two things that happen to us in our prideful state. And I see these two things in our church as well, and in myself. Perhaps we have a standard of what it means to be a mature church. Perhaps if we do X, Y, and Z, A, B, C, D in serving the church, like there's a mature Christian. And so we go around and we go, oh, here's the good mature Christians, and we clap. Or we get puffed up because we're working And then we judge other people who aren't working as quite hard. And we say, there must be a spiritual deficiency. 
But the other flip of the coin, other side of the coin is just as dangerous. Is that we set up the standard of what it means to be a Christian that's outside of Scripture. And because we can't attain it, we put our hands in our pockets and we say, well, I guess I'm not a Christian. I guess I can't grow. I guess I can't walk with the Lord. There's no way I can do all the things that that person is doing. No way I can have that maturity that person is having. And you put your hands in your pockets. And you give up. Either way is a, is a consequence of our going beyond Scripture. A pride that we have in exteriors in our church. That, even, that either strengthens those who are puffed up already or really puts down those of us who can't attain to that level. But the standard of the word of God is simple. In verse 7, Paul states it. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? And Paul is saying to us is that the verdict of our measurement to one another is simply the grace that God has given to us. There's nothing more, there's nothing less. There's nothing that we bring to the table and say, look, I brought more than this guy. Anything that we bring, anything that we have has been given to us by the Lord. And we rejoice in one another. For whatever gifts that God has given, spiritual gifts, for whatever providential circumstances in our lives and in terms of our, our natural abilities, we bring to the Lord and we rejoice in each other. And everything that we bring is good for the people of God. There are many of us here who believe that we can only bring things that look good, things that will enhance the reputation of this church, or things that will enhance our own reputation here. And that's not true. You must bring your weaknesses here too. You must bring your prayer requests too. You must bring your struggles here too. For all that God has given to us, He's given to the church that more grace may be poured upon it. And that we can see the greatness of God's love for us. Don't go beyond scripture. Don't put a measuring stick out there that prevents people from walking in to see Jesus himself. We do not receive anyone based upon what can they can do or cannot do. We are not the gatekeepers to, to, to Jesus' inner chambers. Jesus' inner chambers are open for all of you to walk in. And he graciously receives 
all of you. I implore you as a church and for those of you who are visiting and for those of you who might be looking for a church, don't give up on what God wants for his people. Yes, the church is a mess. Yes, the church is full of sinners. Yes, this church in Corinth is messed up. Yet God loves them and Paul loves them. Love this church. Love one another in its messiness. But never ever close the doors to anyone to the presence of Christ. Allow all to come to Christ. You might have failed many times. Jesus has never closed the door. Church, don't close the door on anyone. You might have known that person for a long time, and that person says, I'll change, I'll change, and they say it a hundred times, and you're like, I'm done with you, doors are closed. You can't do that. Next time they come to you and say, I want to change, you open the door and say, here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. We do not go beyond what is written. We are grateful for all that God has given us. Our consequence of going beyond what is written again is legalism. We set up a law outside of Jesus. We set up a watch guard outside of Jesus. We set up that troll at the bridge and that Dora the Explorer. And we have to ask that troll. That troll asks us two or three questions and we have to answer them before we can see them. We don't do that. We allow all that come. We, all, we allow all to come to Christ. A second thing that happens, though, is when you go beyond what is written, is that we start neglecting the Bible. We start neglecting Scripture. We start neglecting God. If we start worrying about sort of, you know, whether we, whether we should get a dual screen or whether we should have a certain food or whether someone should be maturing at this pace, what's taking them so long to grow? Instead of seeing in Scripture that God is the one who grows us as individuals, as a church, we're here to love. What happens, we neglect the gospel, and then we start having contempt for the gospel. And you have contempt for Jesus. And you have contempt for his scandalous love for one another. We've all seen this happen. You get comfortable in church. You're with someone who's, by God's grace, is in love with Jesus more than anything else. And perhaps you're at a, at a Wendy's, if you go to Wendy's anymore. And your friend strikes off a conversation with someone in line, starts sharing about Jesus. And you see the love that he has and 
you're sharing. But inside your mind, you're going, this is not the time. Inside your mind, you're saying, this guy doesn't deserve to hear it. Inside your heart, you're going, don't have we don't have time for this. We start closing ourselves off because we think that the gospel surely cannot heal this church. Surely cannot grow this church. We become those people who are, who are in those stuck marriages and relationships where you go, I guess things will never change. This is the way it is. I'll just make the best of it. The gospel never does that. When we look at the center of the gospel, to love one another even as we have been loved while we were sinners, that we continue to pursue one another as God pursues us. Pride goes away. Puff, being puffed up goes away. And our love for one another exceeds our ability and our understanding. Brothers and sisters, we are most like Jesus when we are most unlike the world. We are most like Jesus when we have God's word as its center. And here, Paul goes on this diatribe, and, and uh, I wish I had a recording of this. I wish I could hear Paul's intonation. And, and uh, I'd be like, you go, brother. <laughs> Let them have it. They need it this time. But he says that, listen, we become a spectacle for the world because we're dying to ourselves. We become a spectacle to the world because we're, we're living according to Scripture. We're not setting up these sort of uh, these, 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 these facades that the world has. Got to look good. Got to have good speech. Got to be well-educated. We're, we're done with that. And he says, when the world looks at us, they look at us as spectacles from the world. Look how he says in verse 9. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. You understand what a spectacle is, right? A spectacle is something that you cannot take your eyes off of. It could be good or it could be bad. For me personally, I will, I'll confess this. There's one spectacle that I can't take my eyes off of. It's when I go to a Korean restaurant and they're playing K-pop videos. I cannot take my eyes off of it. The colors, the flashes, just like, whoa. You just, just can't take your eyes off of it. So my wife's like, my wife always says, sit this way. You know, but it, it, I mean, it's just, I mean, just, the production level is just out of this world. You cannot not look at it. But there's another type of spectacle, a spectacle of calamity, of disaster, of death that you're drawn to, that your eyes can't ignore. 
and this is what Paul is saying. It's like being led as prisoners of war to, to your death. It's a nice parade. And there are spectators looking and watching and waiting for your death. He likens our living in this world as people watching you walking to death. That your life is so different, and may I say so heinous, in the eyes of the people that they see and they smell death. Paul is saying to the people in Corinth, you live too much like this world. You smell like roses. And he goes on and says, this is how the world sees us. We're fools. We're weak. We're dishonored. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We're cursed. We're persecuted. We're slandered. We're scum. We're garbage. The Christian life should be so diametrically opposed that those who are enemies of God see nothing but death within us. I had a friend in college, and uh, my second year, we, we got an apartment together, um, me and these two other friends. And this one friend of mine, he was a, uh, um, an Italian Catholic. So he loved spaghetti, marinara sauce, and just wonderful things, right? Um, there was one time that my, uh, my mother gave me a bottle of kimchi, and you probably could hear where this is going. Brought the kimchi, put it in the fridge, and this was, this was 1989, you know, so I didn't know, I didn't know any better. So I remember one day he came in to the apartment, and he goes, what just died in our apartment? I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, don't you smell that? And he goes around, opens the refrigerator, looks at this bottle with red stuff. He goes, what is that? This kimchi. He goes, oh, that thing smells so bad. It smells like death. I go, that's what we eat. That's what us Korean people eat. Leave, leave me alone, you know? And later on, he came to appreciate Korean kimchi and all that stuff. But there was a, a, a real, a reality that struck me that day, that, oh my goodness, I'm Korean. Believe it or not, I, mean, I knew I was Korean, but I didn't realize how Korean I was when someone who was not Korean looked at my food and said, that's awful. And I realized, dude, but I really like it. <laughs> that's what I like. That's who I am. To me, it's, it's sustenance, it's food, it's joy. To him, it's death. Paul is saying that the life of a Christian, that our actions, that our words, as we seek to love, as we seek to lay down our lives, as we seek to answer kindly when we are slandered, as we seek to bless when we are cursed, as we seek to endure when we are persecuted, that the world who hates the God that we know 
sees us as trash and smells trash. Brothers and sisters, we are of a different world. We're not part of this world. Brothers and sisters, there I, there I say, if I were to preach this message in the middle of your campus, in the middle of your workplace, I hope that people would stone me in your workplace. I hope that people would just flick their, their, their hair back and, and walk away. I hope that the truth of the gospel is offensive to those who do not know God himself. Brothers and sisters, we must come to the realization that our salvation and our life has been given to us by grace and grace alone. We must remember that Jesus himself never went beyond the law but Jesus himself only went and judged by what was written. That Jesus never looked upon you and said, you must change before you come to know me. Jesus never went to you and said, listen, you do not measure up to what a Christian should be, so you cannot come to me yet. But Jesus has always said to all of you, come to me now. Now, Jesus himself sacrificed his life, died to himself, became something that he never was human in order to save you who are made in his image. That Jesus himself, his love for you, meant that he became something that he was never meant to be. He became sin itself. He became estranged from his father. In the Gospels, Jesus calls the father, father many, many times. But remember when he was on the cross, what does he say? Does he say, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? No, he says, my God, my God. For that moment, God ceased to be his father, for he had become completely sin to him. For us who have been redeemed by God, We live in the world that crucified our Savior, that crucified our Jesus, that crucified the one who gave salvation to us, crucified the one who loves us. And if the world hates Jesus, surely shouldn't the world hate me? We are quick to please pastors, we are quick to please even brothers and sisters in Christ, we are quick to please family members, quick to please those who, who, who have power over us, those who sign our checks, those who give us our grades, but why are we always so slow 
to please Jesus, the one who gave us his life. May we remember, brothers and sisters, we are not from this world. This world is not our master. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you have bestowed upon us, your people. And Lord, we confess, Lord God, that we have forgotten much of what you have done for us and that we are people who are eager to please others, but we forget that we should be eager to please you. If our friends do not die for us, our spouses and our loved ones, even they did not die for us. And surely not our bosses or our professors have died for us. Yet we're so eager to please. But you, God, you died for us. And you allowed us to enter into your presence freely. And so, Lord, help us to enter and to be revived and replenished with the grace that is freely given in you. And then teach us, Lord, to do likewise, Lord God. For out of the abundance of love and grace that you've given to us, surely it overflows. Surely it's more than enough that we can endure anything that happens in this world and have more than enough to love others, to comfort others, to give to others. And so, Lord, let us do so, that the more world may smell the stench. And so this world also may one day smell its beauty as well. We thank you. We worship you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.